Welcome to the Extra Point Podcast. Extra Point is a ministry of the preaching ministry of Marley Baptist Church. And I'm Paul Coleman, the teaching pastor here at Marley. And today I'm joined by Jeffrey Davis, who's our Marshall Campus pastor. Jeffrey, it's good to see you today. Good to see you too, man. I'm uh, glad we get to talk about a new sermon series today, Entangled. Entangled. Uh, now, Entangled, the series started with this verse from Hebrews chapter uh, 12, verse 1. And one thing you said in your sermon that I want to go into as a quick extra point, just right, right off the bat, is you said that the context is running. It's a race. <laughs> Are you a runner? No. I hate to run. <laughs> I, I think when I was in junior high, uh, this is a little story about me. When I was in junior high, I tried to play football. That's a very funny story in and of itself. My seventh grade year, there were 110 kids on the football team. <laughs> they wouldn't cut anybody. <laughs> so uh, in off season, to try to whittle that down, they he had he the coach basically took the most the guys that had the most potential to play football and put them in a weight group where they would go lift weights every day. The rest of us, which I was a part of, he put us in the running group. And nice. every day yeah. in athletic period, we just ran and ran. We ran the entire hour, and he was just trying to run us out of football. Is what he's trying to do, yeah. and it worked. Yeah. It totally worked. I hated running. I've hated running ever since then. Now I like to sprint some, but long distance running, forget <laughs> it, man. I am not a runner. <laughs> so, all. so you don't really relate to the analogy <laughs> with the Apostle Paul. You, you know, know, I've <laughs> talked to people who like to run who get to that sweet spot where they say, "Man, I just hit this moment where I'm just in stride and it feels so good." And I'm like, "I don't get it. I don't get it." But I can totally <laughs> believe you. <laughs> I served with a pastor who said uh, when we were church planting, and he's he he would say this. It came up in sermons fairly often. He would say. If, and a lot of times in passages like this, he'd be preaching and he'd say, look, if you see me running, you better start running too, because something's about to go down. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Because I would otherwise not be running at all. <laughs> but yeah. a- athlete or not, there's something for people to relate to. And not that you're not an athlete, Paul. I, <laughs> I'm not I, much of I, I played some basketball with you. you know, I respect your three-point game. You know? <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's some, you can relate wherever you are as a listener to uh, the Scripture. And even when, the, like the Apostle Paul uses several analogies in his writing, we can still relate to it, even if it's not speaking directly to our situation. So tell us more about your sermon from Sunday, maybe the kind of a recap. What was the main point? The main point was that sin easily entangles us, and it's an interesting word. It's only used this one place in all of the Bible, and it means to well stand around. That, that sounds like a goofy way of saying that, but it, it's, it suggests skill. So it's someone are some group of people who would desire to encompass, entangle, surround, encircle a runner to keep him or her from being able to run. And so the writer of Hebrews says to lay that aside, to lay aside the sin is what entangles us and prevents us from being able to run. You know how that is. It's such a graphic picture. You can't run if your feet are tangled up in something. That's the last thing you can do. You can't walk, but you certainly couldn't run and so I love the picture, even though I don't enjoy running. I love the picture of the Christian life being described as a race. And, in, yeah. and he talks about endurance, so he's talking about a long race. Because I think all of us, you know, when, when I do enjoy running, I think about running into the ocean or running into a lake. You just get going yeah. as fast as you can where you fall in the water. Or like I said, I enjoy sprinting sometimes. But there's something very, when you're able just to run, there's a freedom there. 
And that really, I think, is what the writer of Hebrews is, is alluding to. And like you mentioned, Paul says several things in his writings about running. And it it's this idea of being free from anything that would prevent you from moving forward. And, and so the whole series is about how sin entangles us and prevents us from doing and being who and what God wants us to do and be. There's a common misconception, I think, among people who, even people who are trying to follow Christ, is that sin happens to us, whether we like it or not, like almost that we don't have a choice in it. But Paul is interesting here when he says, lay aside everything that ensnares you. Uh, and uh, and then I think the Christian standard even uses the word sin in the translation there. Uh, some others just say the things that ensnare you or, or entangle you. And <clears throat> But he's saying that you have an action here. You can choose not to have these things in your life. And I think as a Christian, that makes you go, wow, what would my life be like if I chose not to have sin <laughs> hold me up? In my faith, how would you counsel someone uh, who maybe just feels like a victim of sin more than someone who's chosen sin uh, repeatedly through their lives? That's a great question. We talk about uh, recovery programs, and we have a recovery program here at our church called Celebrate Recovery. Many churches have that or something similar. Because we know that people have some sin, some sinful behaviors in their life become things that they would describe as addictions. Yeah. So they're things that they struggle with. There's reasons why they struggle with it from the way that they grew up or their past in some way. Just they're bent, maybe. And those things become repetitious. And so there, I think there is something that happens in the heart of a believer where they it's part of deception that says, I can't really help this. Mm. This happens to me. I don't choose it. And and I believe that the Bible's right when it says that, that the devil is roaming around like a lion seeking someone to devour. He's aggressive. He's assertive. He is our enemy. The Bible describes him that way. He's tempting us constantly. So yes, there is a um, aggressive nature to what he's trying to do in our life by tempting us to sin. But that also doesn't mean automatically that we have no choice in the matter. Yeah. And I love that same point that Paul or the writer of Hebrews makes where he says, lay aside. That that choice belongs to you. Sure. It doesn't mean you will never struggle against it. It's are you struggling? I love how I think Celebrate Recovery talks about struggling well against it. You know, you, are you struggling mm-hmm. well with it or are you just giving into it? And certainly part of what we want to talk about in this series is our attitude about it makes a huge difference. And if we are succumbing to it because we think we don't really have a choice in the matter, it's too strong, well, that defies what the Bible says too because the Bible says that no temptation has overtaken us except that which is common to man. And with that temptation, God will always provide a way of escape. So if that's true and we know it is, then really we are. Because if if you can't help sinning, then you're not responsible for your sin. That, right. then, but we are responsible. We are, we are liable yeah. for our sin. And so it's a, it's a part of Satan's strategy in our life to lie to us and cause us to think we can't help it. Even if it's something that is a repetitive sin, a lifestyle sin, the Bible doesn't use that phrase, but I, I think of things that are lifestyle sins. Um, I used the illustration yesterday of of the couple that were living together. I think living together is a lifestyle sin because it's a choice you made, 
and every day you stay in it, it's part of your lifestyle. You've chosen it, but it's sin. It's a it's sinful activity, but you can stop it. I mean, and you can stop any sin. People that say, well, I, I can't help it, or someone who's addicted to a substance or alcohol, um, people who are addicted to pornography, other addictions that people have, eating addictions or disorders, certainly they may feel an enormous amount of pressure but your attitude about it, what you believe about it, has everything to do with whether or not you have victory over it. If you feel like you don't have any choice in the matter, then you you kind of are a victim in that situation. Right. But that is not the way the Bible describes it, so that's not really accurate. Yeah, no, I understand that, and uh, and you know it's interesting. We've talked around this in just a technical point about the scripture. Hebrews doesn't attribute an author to itself, and right. so we don't actually know who wrote it. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't consider myself a scholar by any means, but I like to think Paul wrote it. I, think, I do I mean, too. It's like a lot of things. I just don't know. Yeah, we just don't know. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's some things in there that uh, that you go, well, that doesn't sound like Paul. But there's a lot of things you go, that sounds a lot like Paul. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's somebody who's a disciple of his. We have no idea really, but uh, but one of the things that we do know uh, from the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans is when he talks about doing the things he doesn't want to do and not doing the things he does want to do in relation to sin. And that there is a legitimate human tug of war that's happening between us and sin. Uh, and so whether our sin is something that we feel like is happening to us or something that we're choosing or anything like that, you know, whether we're a victim of it or not, I mean, it, there's, there is kind of a war that we've got to wage with sin, acknowledging that it's there and having an attitude that takes some responsibility for it. So, uh, mm-hmm. so there's lots of misconceptions though out there about sin uh, and what it means for us in our lives. If you're you're a pastor, you've been a pastor for a while. So, what's what are some common maybe pitfalls that you've seen Christians fall into in their thinking about sin? Well, that's a big one. You know, the attitude of I can't. I'm a victim. I can't really help it. Um, this was too strong. The temptation was too strong for me. I think that's one of the things that I see with people. Um, you know. In terms of sin, I think people, I I think people get to a point when a sin is repetitive in their life where they don't really know even how to repent of it. Honestly, Mm -hmm. they can say the words "I repent." We know the word "repent" means to change your mind, to to turn around, to return. The word "minnow," I believe, maybe that's not the right word. Not sure. I think that means I remain or or I. I dwell. Sorry, that may be the wrong word. But whatever the word is for repent, I can't remember what it is in Greek. It means to return, to, yeah. to come back. So it's a decision. It's a it's an act of the will. And I think, though, people that, that say they're sorry and confess their sin, the same sin maybe over and over and over again, tend to think that God is like them and God gets really tired of hearing it and that he's, you know, whether we're sincere or not in that, only he knows, and we maybe we don't even know. That's where I think the Bible says that the heart's deceitful above all things. We we may not know if we're sincere. We want to be sincere. I think sometimes we we you know the Bible talks about praying and asking the Lord to help your unbelief. Well, I think sometimes we need to pray and say, "Help my repentance, God. I want right. to get to the place where I am truly sorry for this." And and so I do think that part of that is. Um, Bringing James talks about confessing your sins one to another mm-hmm. that you could be healed. Bringing someone else who has skin on into the conversation. Now, if you sin against someone, 
you should confess to that person and God. I believe yep. that. Yeah. And even if your sin's private, but it's against someone else, the thing I think of, I, mean, I mentioned pornography a second ago or lust. I mean, that's really yeah. the sin. If you if you have lust in your heart toward another someone of the opposite sex, the Bible calls that adultery. And so you have sinned against your spouse if you're married. Yep. And you should confess that to your spouse, I believe. And and I know people who resist that. I, I know men that I've talked to who struggle with lust, and they would say, oh, no, 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 I'd never tell my wife. If I told my wife, she might want a separation or she might... It would devastate her. She might divorce me. She might not even want to be married to me anymore. She would see that as, as adultery and unfaithfulness, and she might not even want to be married to me. And you can't control what the outcome is, but but that's a deterrent to future sin. Exactly. Part of where Satan keeps us is in this place of secrecy. So you said what are pitfalls? <laughs> One of the pitfalls is that people, particularly men, but it's not just men, keep their sin a secret, and they, they confess it to God, and they think that's sufficient, but right. they don't confess it to the person that was also, whether they even were aware of it, were sinned against. Right. And you, you've you probably seen some of that, too, in, in terms of pitfalls. You probably have some ideas about that. Well, yeah, I just want to play off what you're talking about. It, it uh, definitely sin works, and I guess our enemy, Satan, works through sin, is probably the better way to say it, to convince us that if we admit our sin... Uh, we're going to lose something, and uh, we're going to be hurt. Uh, we're going to lose influence. We're going whatever you know, the, lose a relationship or hurt uh, someone else. Uh, and the reality is, there are consequences to sin. But <clears throat> wouldn't you much rather be labeled a hypocrite if you could share the gospel more and and to experience the freedom that God promises through forgiveness and uh, through Christ? And here's what I mean. We know that it's a lie. That's the keeping sin a secret is the yeah. better way to do it. We still choose that because it's such a good lie. <laughs> <laughs> it and works. It seems to work on us a lot. And that's why it's a pitfall. Uh, but, you know, when I was in college, uh, I'd been influenced as a teenager a lot by this band Cayman's Call. You know Cayman's Call? Yeah, I remember them. Funny story was Aaron Tate, who wrote a lot of their songs, ended up being a teacher with my sister-in-law in Houston just a couple oh, of years wow. ago. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Uh, maybe he'll listen to this podcast and give us a <laughs> shout out. Aaron, love your songwriting. <clears throat> but you know, the other guy that wrote a lot of those songs was Derek Webb, who and uh, and and Derek Webb's been on a faith journey of his own, uh, and that's gone a different path than mine. But uh, when I was in college, I found a lot of uh, commonality with him, just trying to figure out life and faith. And he had a little album called The House Show. And uh, it's just a Derek Webb deal. He played a couple of his old Cademan songs, played a couple of Bob Dylan songs. You know, it's like every college guy's, you know, dream right there. And uh, and so he says in between songs, I wish my sin could be broadcast on the five o'clock news. Wow. Could you, I mean, could you imagine? Wow. Because at least we could get to a point of honesty and at least we could like be truthful about where we are and like experience what God intends us to to experience, uh, because it's, we're so jaded. We, we've li- literally jaded ourselves hmm. by keeping our sin a secret, and it limits not only our ability to experience the freedom God has for us, but it hinders our ability to share the gospel with people. And we think we're doing better mm-hmm. by keeping it a secret, but actually, the better thing for the gospel and the kingdom of God would for be 
for, would be for people to see how truly broken we are so that they would also see how loving God truly is. And uh, man, that's wouldn't that be really crazy? And one of the good. pitfalls I think about, though, too, is how we see sin as uh, like a third wheel in our relationship with God. Um, it's like a love triangle. Uh, Talk about that. Did you ever go on a date with Christy when you guys were dating and have a third wheel, like a brother or sister or someone tag along? No, not with her, but previous date previous relationships. Day, okay, yeah. I, did. I think I was the third wheel sometimes. <laughs> right. People know what that lo- looks like and feels like. And so... And and then, you know, hopefully not many people know what a love triangle looks like or feels like, but maybe the third wheel is a better one. But yeah. But we think that we can kind of have this relationship with God uh, and then kind of along a little side relationship, we can have our sin. Yeah. But, you know, Jesus even said a man can't serve two masters. You either love one and hate the other or, or vice versa. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and of course he was talking about greed, but. I think it's the same with any sin, you know? Yeah. And uh, so what happens is anytime sin comes into the... It can't just stay as like another point in the triangle, right? It, it gets in the middle. And you talked about that a yeah. lot on Sunday, especially yeah. in terms of communication with God. Uh, how do you see that happening as a, as a pitfall? Yeah, well, I mean, it it's a deception that people commonly hold on to, I think, more today because for whatever reason, maybe they're just not aware of what the Bible says, that I can be living in active rebellion to God, whatever that sin is, not repentant of it, and I can still continue to pray. Right. And my prayers will still be effective. (laughs) Like I can have God in sin too. Yeah. And God says, no, that's not the way this works at all. I talked about 1 Peter and how 1 Peter 3, 7 talks about, you know, honor your wives that your prayers won't be hindered. If you look the word up for hindered, it means interrupted. And Mm -hmm. so that means that if I am not honoring my wife the way God wants her to be honored, then my prayers are going to be hindered. My communication is going to be hindered. It affects my most important relationship. And it it doesn't matter what I think, how much I don't want that to be true. That's true. So my communication with God is completely dependent on whether or not I repent and refuse to be entangled by my sin. If I'm entangled by my sin then I'm and I'm unwilling to repent of it, then I am saying I'm content to live in broken communication with God. Mm. I'm, con- I'm content to live my life not being able to talk to God and not being able to hear Him speak to me. Wow. I mean, that is... That's a pretty strong admi- admission that you're saying, I don't want to repent of this sin. And... and I wish that was rare, but unfortunately in ministry, I, I see people more and more just saying, well, this is the sin that I've chosen, and you know, I'm going to still have my relationship with God too. Mm. <laughs> and you're so deceived if you believe that. What you're going to have is a, an illusion. You're not going to have a—you might have a relationship. You might be God's child, but there's not going to be any fellowship there, and— it's it's just the height of self deception. So, I wonder too if there are more consequences that come along with sin. I think about what, oh yeah, uh, you know, both of our former pastor, Doctor Lanny Johnson, uh, used to say. And I'm sure other pastors say it too. But sin always takes you farther than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, and costs you more than you're willing to pay. Mm-hmm. And I think this is in Hebrews 12 too. But if you look at verse two, it says, "Keep your eyes." Mm-hmm. fixed on Jesus, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for uh, the joy set before him uh, bore the shame of the cross. 
And <clears throat> I think about how he could do that, and it was that he he had his eyes fixed on the future, like eternity, the mm-hmm. end goal. Like he was looking toward the finish line, and he was willing to take on the shame of our sin because he knew what the end result would be. And I think if we would keep our eyes on the finish line, it would help us make decisions better about sin in our lives. That's right. You know, if we look forward and we go, where's this going to get me? If I hold on to this sin, I'm not willing to admit it, I'm not willing to lay it aside, uh, where's that going to get me? And, and number one, you got to start out with, it breaks my communication with God. And no one wants to live in that presently, but what else could happen? It probably oh. is going to lead to broken relationships, yeah. hurt, hurt, loss of job. I mean, there's all kinds of things that you can't even imagine the impact negatively. Yeah. The inverse of that is if you look at the sin in your life and you put your eye on the finish line and you go, if I let go of this sin, I also don't know what will happen in the future, but it will be a positive. Right. <laughs> what could God do through my life if I'd be willing to let go of this sin? I have no idea, but it's probably going to be amazing. Yeah, it's definitely going to be better than the other alternative, for sure. I mean, the Bible's about that, clearly. And that's a, that's a great way to think of it is, you know, that's the idea of running the race is there's a finish line somewhere down yeah. there. And for us, it's when we cross into eternity. The moment we meet Jesus till the moment we cross into eternity, that's the race. But we are going to have that moment in our life. Every one of us have that day in our future. And sin is sin can never take you there. I mean, it... it, it it is. It, it, I don't know how to do the analogy of the race, but it. It well, you can't get there if you've got you're sin entangled. You can't yeah. get there. That's the analogy: is that you're completely prohibited from moving forward, making yeah. any progress. So, yeah, you just won't be spiritually successful. Yeah. Now, if you go back in chapter twelve and right before what we talked about, it said the very first phrase in chapter twelve of Hebrews is that therefore, uh, as you are surrounded by a, go- a great cloud of witnesses. And the next phrase is lay aside the sin that entangles you. Well, lay aside every encumbrance. Every encumbrance, says, right. And then yeah, also yeah, the yeah, sin that sin easily. Yeah, the encumbrance and the sins that easily entangle you. So there's some inclination that heaven is watching, that, that spiritually speaking, there are no secrets. Like uh, we may be able to hide our sin from people around us, family, coworkers, et cetera, but there is... A stadium of of saints who are just like screaming at the top of their lungs, like, get rid of it, lay it aside, it's not worth it. Yeah. You can do this. They're cheering us on, really, uh, toward faithfulness and fruitfulness. And and I think that's pretty cool. And it would man, it wouldn't change your world every day if you remembered that there's just like a you know, this throng of Saints that have gone before. He Here's another way to think of on. that. Here, think, so I I have thought about that. I've I've even had some pretty spirited discussions with people about what does that mean? Great mm. cloud of witnesses. Some people believe that it means that heaven actually observes what we're doing. That people that have gone before us that know the Lord that are in heaven are actually observing our lives here on earth. I, I'm not sure that you can make the case for that. And you can study it for yourself, and you'll see that there's quite a bit of uh, division as far as mm-hmm. who believes what. It comes right on the heels of Hebrews 11, where it talks about all these people who were faithful to God, yep. you know, and all the stories we call chapter 11 kind of the hall of hall faith. Of faith. Yeah. yeah. All these people who demonstrated trust in God and through all these different adverse experiences. And and it's it's as if the writer is saying, think about all of them. Think about all of them. Now, certainly they're in heaven, but 
he's saying you're 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 this is who you're in company with. You're in company with these people who have been through difficult times. Take wisdom from them. Take their example to, as as something to live by. They're they're surrounding you in the sense that it's interesting. That you, and, and I didn't, surrounding, yeah, they're yeah. surrounding you in a positive way to move you forward and sense trying to surround you to stop you. But that's a, I don't know that I know the answer to that. The Bible's not real clear about which way is, you know, uh, whether they actually can see us from heaven or whether they're just, it's just talking about that because they've already, they're witnessing to us to be faithful by their life, by the way that Mm -hmm. they live their lives. They're, they're testifying to us, be faithful because that's the better path. And either way, the end meaning is kind of the same is that, Take their example, look at their lives, follow their lead, and um, and run like they did. You know, don't follow the world. It's that same model. Don't go the way of the world, but follow the, the straight and narrow and the path that they chose to be faithful to God. So that would be a, a good conversation for connect groups about <laughs> what. And I think it could be really healthy. You know, and if I was a connect group leader, I'd probably also go all the way back to Hebrews one, and about how uh, we have uh, these essentially angels <laughs> yeah. who are kind of involved in our lives and entertaining angels, that kind of thing, you know. That's a real interesting mystery mm-hmm. related to how this works out. But there's some things that we can know and know practically uh, how to respond to sin in our lives. And so in our last minute or so, uh, maybe take 30 seconds on each of these, Paul, and this would be a good way to close out. But uh, w- when another Christian observes, one Christian observes another Christian entangled in sin, what should they do? You know, the Bible makes it pretty clear, but we are very hesitant in modern day America. I don't know if they would say this is true in other parts of the world, but I know here we're very hesitant to get anybody's business. We're very mm-hmm. hesitant. We think we're not supposed to get in other people's business, but really that's it's a loving thing to do to rebuke to reprove someone in fact i'm gonna just a little preview this coming week i'm gonna kind of address this a little bit as i talk about one of these systemic sins but think well just think about it this way if someone were to come to you and lovingly and that's critical lovingly confront you about a sin you knew you were involved in you don't know how they knew. Maybe they observed it. You know, maybe it was an attitudinal thing, or they just saw behavior in you that was maybe it was an outburst of rage or something like that. Something they observed. It wasn't rumor, but they had observed it in you, mm-hmm. and they were rebuking you. I mean, I've, you've probably had that happen in your life, like I have. And uh, you know, what, what is your attitude toward that? Are you humble? Are you teachable? Do you take that from the Lord, or do you bow up and get frustrated and? defensive and arrogant and what do you know that's a real critical thing um i do think the bible calls us to rebuke one another that sounds like a strong word but our you know the culture kind of we we allow culture sometimes to change us too too much and not let the bible speak into that it's a loving thing to do to to rebuke someone to correct someone yeah if you can do it and love be your motive. That's that's something you have to kind of measure too before you go to someone to make sure that your motive is pure. If your motive is to shame them, hurt them, you know, whatever your motive may be, that's not pure. 
then it probably isn't going to be well received. Not saying you shouldn't do it, but you should yeah. do it with the right motive, obviously. So, yeah, not to be afraid to um, confront someone um, because of the potential that they could have for God to work in their life. Yeah, and, uh, and yeah, and you may be the the one that God wants to do that, and you may be the only one to observe it. And so, right, that's exactly know. right. God may want to use you, and that's boy, I, you know. <laughs> That's a difficult thing sometimes. It's not easy. But, but it's biblical. There's not a lot easy about the Christian life, <laughs> that's is right. there, Paul? Yeah. yeah, that's right. They're difficult things. Now, speaking of difficult things, you probably face difficult conversations as a pastor a lot, and that's one of the uh, it's one of the tough things about being a pastor, but it's a joy that God would use us, that uh, uh, people come to us entangled in sin. And when that happens to you as a pastor, someone comes to you and, and expresses that they're stuck or entangled or, you know, Whatever they might say in a particular sin, how do you counsel them? What's what's their next step? Well, I, I think the first step would be to make it right with God, and that may mean that may involve that they need to go confess that to someone else that has also been sinned against in that situation. It, it's if if their sin, the rule I kind of follow in my life is if the sin is truly secret. And secret sounds negative, but if it's just between me and God, if I'm driving down the road and someone pulls out in front of me and I lose it in my heart, I may never say a word, but in my heart, I'm thinking things that are not good about that person. I may have an outburst toward them, but they never hear it. They never see it. And I'm not sure if anyone else did. But if that's just between, that's just an example. If it's between me and God, then yes, I need to confess that to God. If... In that same scenario, um, <laughs> funny story, real quick. <laughs> if in that same scenario I get frustrated and I rev by them in my car and I try to outrun them and then I realize that they're pulling in the church parking lot just <laughs> like I am. <laughs> oh, man. Then I probably need to go over their car and say that what I did back there really was unbelievably stupid and I'm sorry. And I'd like to ask you to forgive me. So that's, I mean, again, confession, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, which means to agree with God about what it is, that it's it's our responsibility and we were wrong to do it and we take responsibility for it. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, to restore our condition back to being in active fellowship with him. So a lot of times people are unwilling to do that because... There's a lot of there's a lot of pride involved, maybe, or they're just not sure how they'll be received by that person, or they're not sure what the consequence will be for them if they confess that. But but sin that stays secret, that's not really, it's not really a secret, but it stays in secrecy, is very very unhealthy. And um, I'd say that's probably the starting point. We can talk more about that. Yeah, I'm sure weeks. we're going to talk every week about. Uh, and a little more specifically about sin, but uh, about how sin impacts our lives. Um, so I think that's a great way for us to just stop and encourage the listeners to be plugged in over the next several weeks with the life of our church. And that includes your connect groups and includes the people you're in discipleship relationships with, and also on Sunday mornings. And whether you are connecting online or in person, I would encourage you 
take a step and and begin to attend on person in person on campus a little bit more. Uh, we're now inclu- including and incorporating uh, kids classes on both campuses, Marshall and Longview campus. Uh, at certain levels, you can find more information about that on moberly.org. And uh, there's certainly information there about who can gather and how we're gathering and all the safety precautions we're doing related to the coronavirus. Uh, I will tell you, Paul, it is safer uh, to come to church, in my opinion, than any other Anywhere place else, in our community. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, and so uh, we love being together. Uh, we watched Hamilton last week on Disney Plus, the, the theatrical production, and there's a great number in that. I think that's the right word for theater, a number. Uh, it's a you know a song, and uh, it's in the room where it happens. And there's just something about being in the room where it happens. And uh, I totally agree when it comes to worship. And so, but if online is the right choice for you right now, that's certainly okay. Come be a part of what's going on and what God is doing at Moberly. We're going to talk more about being entangled in sin, not so that you can feel guilty, but so that you can find freedom. And that's really what the heart about it, the heart behind it is. So we hope you'll plug in with us at Moberly and check us out either online or in person, moberly.org slash online, or right here on one of our campuses. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We'll see you next time.